Well, good morning again. It is good to be here with you guys. Today is an exciting day. We're celebrating the life and the baptism of two uh, individuals, and it is exciting to see God working and changing lives. And so um, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're talking about family restored, and I think this text goes along well with what's happening today, as we're going to be looking at um, our position uh, and a presence and a peace and a purpose and how the, the work of Christ reconciles uh, us to God and creates us as family members uh, of an eternal domain. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11, and um, we're going to continue our study in Ephesians as we've been, as you know, we've been looking through uh, the text in Ephesians. And I want to remind you of a couple things of why Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, um, and he was writing to them to encourage holiness, encourage purity, and encourage unity. So just keep that in your mind as we look at position and presence and peace and purpose uh, in the text. Starting in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 11, uh, it says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of, the, of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together in a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this time we get to study your word. Father, we get to hear from you, God. We get to uh, just to, to dig into what you have for us as your people, Father. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts to hear your words, Father. That your Holy Spirit would stir us, Father. That we would come to you, Father, and we would want to be reconciled as a family together. To have unity among the brethren and among the sisters, Father. To have unity with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And also, Father, with one another, Father. And that we would have such a unity and such a passion and love for one another and such an intimacy with you, Father, that the community, as we go out and as we do our daily business, would see that, and they would want to be a part of that, Father, and they'd say that the work at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, Father, is a good work, and it is godly, and it is of an eternal domain, Father, it is of a heavenly kingdom, Father, and that they are looking out for one another, Father, in the best interests of each other, Father, according to your word and the truth that you have established for us, Father, and Father, we thank you for this time that we get to open your word and hear from you, Father, speak to our hearts, Father, 
Set us on fire for you, Father. Give us a passion for you and a passion for the lost world, Father. And Father, uh, we just ask that we, we would give this time to you to glorify your name and all that we do and ask bring glory to you, Father. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at uh, verse 11 here, and it says, therefore, remember what Paul is calling us to do. He's saying, therefore, it's a transitional statement. Therefore, remember. Paul is building on what he's already said in verses 1 through 10 uh, that Pastor Troy spoke about uh, last week, um, about the work of salvation, the salvific work of Christ. If you remember, Pastor Troy said, but God, being rich in his mercy, And so we see that Paul is building upon those statements that he made. The salvific work of Christ is for whom? It's for all people. The salvific work of Christ is for all people. And what he's already saying is that he's saying that God's people, when you become a Christian, you are God's workmanship. That is a work of God, it is a miraculous work of God, that people come to Christ and to obtain salvation, and that God's people are God's workmanship, and that God's people are no longer racially segregated. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. What he's saying there is that the salvific work of Christ is no longer just for the Jews. It is no longer racially segregated by your birth, by your nationality, by the people you assimilate with or the, the, the uh, allegiance that you hold to by a nation, but that is for all people. And he's saying that you were Gentiles and you were uncircumcised, called by the people that were circumcised. This was, a, this was a physical work. This was a physical appearance. Remember that in verse 12, remember that you at that time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, strangers to that which Israel had been given the oracles of God, the law of God, they were God's people. They are God's people, Israel. The Gentiles here, the people at Ephesus, heavily Greek, heavily Roman, they were not a part of the promises that God had promised Israel. They were, not, they were excluded from that. They were separated from that racially, physically, by national allegiance. They were not a part of it. This is a physical, um, this was a physical segregation But we see that um, Christ is bringing salvation and he's breaking down those divides. He's breaking down those barriers and he's removing that segregation. But Paul calls us to remember. Remember where we came from. That we were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so our position before Christ our position before Christ is that we were alienated from the, the, the covenants, alienated from the promise of eternal life, alienated from the truth, being, not being able to understand. We were without God in the world. We had no hope apart from Christ. Our position before Christ is, is sad, pitiful. Our, our position before Christ, before we meet Christ, before we uh, have trust in Christ, before we place our, our faith in Christ, our position is, is very sad. 
It is that of no hope. Paul calls us to remember that. At one time, we were there. At one time, we were without hope. These are truths that we should not forget because we are going to talk to people who don't know Christ. We are going to take the gospel, this good news, the salvific gospel of Christ, and we're going to take it and we're going to share it with people outside in the community that have no hope. That's why they are looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. We're going to take this message to them. Let us remember that we too came from that. Let us remember that we were at one time just like them, looking for and and to gratify our desires in all the wrong places. Let us not forget that our position before Christ was hopeless, but understand that our position in Christ is eternal. We have to remember, although Paul is talking here and he's separating the, the physical and the spiritual, we have to remember what Christ has saved us from. And so, therefore, he says, therefore, remember that you, formerly, that formerly you, the Gentiles, he's talking to saved people here, um, that, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, he makes a transition there. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, are brought near by the blood of Christ. So we see our position before Christ is hopeless, but, our, but in Christ we are given God's presence. Look at this, verse 13. Once afar off. Once far off, meaning not capable of attaining, not close to. Once far off. Where we were prior to Christ, we were far off. Without the ability to know God, without the ability to be in the presence of God, without the ability to hear from God, or to even speak to God, we were far off. But in Christ, we were given God's presence. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. We have the ability to be in the presence of God by Christ's blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, the blood of the new covenant, talking about Christ and how his his, his atonement is so much better than that which the, the priest of the Old Testament uh, of the house of Israel that they would do at the temple. Uh, once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. We are brought near by the blood of Christ. We have the ability to enter into the, the holiness of God by the sacrifice and the atoning work of Christ. Understand that There no longer needs to be the sacrifice of blood and bulls and goats because Christ has once and for all fulfilled that sacrifice for sin on our behalf. He's done that for us. That is how he brings us near. We have access to the Father because of this. In verse 13, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of the blood of Christ, we have been given access to the Father. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 11 and 12, we'll look at that, how we have access to the Father. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. In Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith to access the Father. In Hebrews chapter 4, 
uh, verses 15 and 16. If you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because of Christ and his blood and, and how he brings us near, we have the ability to access the Father. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. And so we can go with confidence and boldness to the throne of God to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Before Christ, we were hopeless. But in Christ, we were given access to the presence of God. We were given the ability to stand boldly and confident before a God who loves us, a God who gave his son for us, and to petition him for things that we need in life. Petition him for times of help when we deal with temptations and struggles. Petition him for times when we're going through a terrible time and we need his grace and his mercy to cover us. We have that ability. Amen? Because of the atoning work of Christ, we once were far off, but now have been brought near. The truth is active today in the church. Praise God. People who are far off, who were far off, are actively being brought near by the gospel message, by the blood of Christ. They are placing their faith in in Christ, and they are translated from death into life. And we see that, and we're going to observe that today, and we're going to celebrate that today. We are celebrating that today. The work of the gospel and the mission of the church is to glorify God, to worship God, advance the gospel of Christ, and then celebrate the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, to celebrate Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there, though. In Christ, we're not only given God's presence, but we're given God's peace. If you'll turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 14, we see that for he himself is our peace, talking of Christ Jesus, he is our peace, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so he, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. We were given peace. Jesus is our peace. Here Christ is a satisfaction. In verse 14 and 15, Christ is the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sin. And our absence of God's wrath poured out upon our human sinfulness is the evidence of that. In Christ's life, sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection, he's broken down the racial barriers established by human hands, and he's recategorized the family of God into the spiritual household exclusively, exclusively within himself in Christ Jesus. He's, he's taken what was by lineage of reproduction and he's now opened the doors by faith and trust in his atoning work and his, and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. We, are now have, we now have access to be a part of the family of God to the heavenly household. Removes selectivity based upon physical attributes. Jesus does. And he clarifies that the household of God is open to all 
by way of faith in Christ. No longer selective by lineage, now it's open to all who place their faith in Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has come so that we could have eternal life. He's not willing that any should perish. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but but for all to come to repentance. Christ is our peace with God. He has satisfied the God's wrath against human sinfulness. And in doing so, and in doing so, he has become our peace. We are able to have peace with God because Christ has satisfied God's wrath against our sin. There no longer is enmity between us and God, between humanity, my own personal sinfulness in God because Christ has satisfied God's wrath upon my sin. The cross puts the hostility of humanity and the righteousness of the law into one body, thus becoming peace into one new man. What I mean by that, let me explain this real quick. What I mean by that is this. Sin has broken our ability to access a holy God. The law and the righteousness required by the law to have this this access to a holy God condemns us. The law condemns us. The law was never able to save us. As a matter of fact, that's why Paul in Romans said that, that the law is, was weak in that regard. It's great at condemning us to identify our sin, to identify the righteousness required to access God the Father. But there is, there's hostility there because of our sinfulness. But Jesus in his flesh upheld the law, every aspect of the righteousness of the law. And he died on a cross as our sacrifice, as the one and final atoning work to cover the sin of humanity, to cover my sin, to cover your sin. Thus, in his body, he was without sin, but he took on our sin. And in that one body, judgment was cast upon him for my sin, for your sin, each individual sin that you had or would or would do, was placed upon him, upon his account. And he endured the wrath, the full wrath of God for that in his body through the work of the cross so that he would become the mediator of a better covenant. He would become the mediator of peace. When we place our faith in Christ, he is our peace. He gives us this peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Why we say that? Because it was not possible for people to obtain righteousness before Christ. It's not possible. Try as you may, it were not possible because of your sin nature. But there was a righteous requirement to have access to the Father. And that once was not possible. That's why the the high priest had to offer once a year a sacrifice, and he was only able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he, act, and he had to do that um, once a year every year. 
But now in Christ, we are given access. God's wrath has been fully satisfied. We no longer approach God. Uh, because of Christ's work, we no longer approach God in fear and, in, and, and, and as if we can't have a relationship with him because of our sin, because Christ is already, he's already satisfied that wrath. So now we have peace, which was once not possible. We have peace with God, towards God in Christ. Why? Because he has satisfied the requirement of wrath to be poured upon our sin nature. He's abolished that in his body. This peace is a product of the atoning work of Christ that was once not possible to be obtained. And what it does, the byproduct of that, or the product of this peace is great. Because what it does for us is that um, we're now set free. Jesus said that if the Son set you free, then yes, you are free indeed. What he's saying is you're free from sin. You're free from the, the requirement and the duty of the penalty of sin. You have life. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he comes to give life and not just life, but life more abundantly. What he's saying there is why we have abundant life. Why do we have this peace with God uh, in Christ? It is because of the fact that we are not in fear of a great expectation of, of eternal damnation. We have been set free from that to glorify God, to worship God, to advance this good news, the gospel, into a lost and dying world. People who don't know peace can now know peace in Christ. And because of that peace, we can have, we can have, peace, we have peace towards God. And because we have peace towards God, we have peace towards one another. Thus, given us the ability as God's people, as the household, the family of God, a spiritual family with an eternal domain, the ability to be at peace with one another and to develop unity in our congregation and our body. So we have access to the Father through one spirit. Verses um, <clears throat> 16, if you look with me in verse 16 of the text, says this, and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access, our access, in one spirit to the Father. Praise God. We have now been given access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. Ephesians chapter 4 says, verses 4 through 6 says that there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We have unity by the Holy Spirit. In this family of God, because we have peace with God and we can have peace with each other, we have unity. We ought to cherish that. In Christ, we have peace. Jesus is our peace. Also in Christ, we have a purpose. Let us look at God's purpose in verses 19 through 22. We see that God, before God, we have our position is hopeless, but in, or before Christ, our position is hopeless, but in Christ, we have been given a peace. We have been given a purpose. We have been given God's presence. And let's look here in verses 19. We're going to talk about God's purpose for us, this family that's being reconciled to him. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Amen. And are of God's household. Even better. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together into a dwelling place, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God has given us a purpose. We are, we are family, and he's given our family a purpose. We are citizens and family members of the household of God. When you say citizenship, what do you think? Protection? Rights? An establishment? Safety? We think of citizenship, we think of these things. Philippians 3, uh, verse 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has given, is even subject to all things to himself. Amen. There's coming a day because of our citizenship, which is in heaven, that we are going to be transformed into the conformity of the body of his glory by his power. We have citizenship. We're of the household of God. Our purpose is, is a heavenly citizenship. But we also have a family here a family, uh, inheritance, accessibility, intimacy, identity. We have a belonging. We have a family. We have intimacy with one another that was not once possible. But in Christ it is possible because of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, meaning him, Christ Jesus was, is the cornerstone of the building. And it, by him, uh, all things are being built And we are individual pieces of this holy temple, the spiritual temple, the church, a new race of people, a spiritual people, a family that God has established for himself, a, a, a royal priesthood. The foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus, and we are the bricks, the stone, the mortar, the two-by-fours, us, the church member. That's why we're diverse, and we're growing together. By the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts, we are becoming the residents of the Spirit of God. Amen. God is taking residence in our congregation. God is taking residence in in us. In the outer working of of his work. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me real quick. 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this about this purpose about this family, this citizenship, says this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but as choice and precious in the sight of God, speaking of Jesus, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, amen, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, Amen. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling block 
a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to the doom they are also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received, you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Amen. We are the family and the household of God, by Jesus Christ and his work, reconciled to God the Father, a royal, a royal family who is called, given the purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Amen. Amen. You have a heavenly purpose. So this morning, I want to ask you, as we get ready for um, the time of baptism and as the band comes forward, I want to ask you, you know, we're celebrating the addition of bricks and, 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 and two by fours to this heavenly building that God has established, this royal family. He's, he's working right now and we're celebrating that today. And I ask you to get excited about that. But I also ask you, where are you today? Where are you today? As we, we've, we've talked about this, Are you far off? Are you in the family? Are you at peace with God? At peace with people? Um, I ask you to think about those things. So as we witness these baptisms, and Brother Walter is going to come up and talk about what baptism is, as we think about that, you think about your life for a minute in light of the scriptures and the truth that you've heard today. And there will be a time of invitation a little bit later. But as you think about those, reflect on those, and I ask you to place yourself, where are you at?